0: Hey there, welcome to Bandit's Keep. I'm Daniel. In this episode, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, time, like how time can function in in the campaign, as well as I'm going to kind of talk a little bit about other role-playing games as well, but how how it's going to function using the close-up, the the mid, and the wide shot, as I'm kind of calling it, uh, in this chainmail game. And then we will have some calls. All right, so I want to talk a little bit about time. Um, Time and treasure. So this is going to be somewhat related to the chainmail thing. Of course, I'm always going different directions here, but um, inspired partially or maybe entirely by uh, Robert Down in the Heap. Um, He's talking about XP for treasure and, you know, leveling. And I made the comment that, you know, you can level at a certain speed, but it does create this situation where it's like if you've pulled out 5,000 gold pieces from an ancient tomb, You know, why the heck are you going back down there? That's enough to live a long time. And this now comes down to, and again, I'm not trying to be realistic with anything, but there's a a couple things that I think can be done here and things that I do. So first of all, I always refer back to Conan the Barbarian, the movie. And one thing that always sticks in my mind about Conan is when he breaks into that tower with the snake. Sorry, spoilers for a movie that's like very old. Um, and he he comes back with like a, a sack full of gems and whatever, and you then, it's like a, you know, like one of these like montage scenes where he and his group are just partying like crazy, throwing huge gems that are probably worth a thousand, you know, D&D equivalent of a thousand gold pieces at a waitress as a tip, you know, just spending money buying ridiculous clothes, like, oh... You know, you don't think the merchants in these towns like see adventurers coming a mile away, and they quickly switch their price tag from ten gold pieces to eight hundred gold pieces for this fur-lined cloak. You know, adventurers should just be stupid with their money. Um, that's the way I look at it. So, to me, uh, you know, I have no problem with just in the in the 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 in the the fiction, right? Hey, um, Tyrion. In the fiction, uh, having basically. ...the adventurers just spend their money stupidly. This comes down to possibly carousing... Um, ...if people want to use carousing tables... ...or you can just hand wave it. I mean, there's lots of different ways to do it. Um, so some things... And this ties into the chainmail thing... ...because I want to talk about time. So I think one of the... What I found was... So I, I of course... ...if somehow this is the first thing you're listening to... ...you know, I played... Uh, ...you know, BX ...D&D... ...and then AD&D... ...and a bunch of other games... ...Star Frontiers... Um, all the other, all the other TSR games back in the eighties, early eighties, when I was a kid, and I went away from it. I mean, probably like before I was out of high school, I was put away as RPGs, and then you know when Five E started to really blow up, like I don't know around like five years ago, um, I got back into it, and I played Fifth Edition. I ran a three year long Fifth Edition campaign, which was awesome and really loved it. And what I found was we played for three years, uh, you know, in physical time, playing every single week. Uh, You know, I mean, we missed one here and there, but for the most part, every single week. And in game time, I think roughly a year went by. (laughs) In fact, one of the first dungeons I ran, it literally in game time took, because I wasn't doing the, the stuff I would do now, like tracking time properly when they're going doing searches and stuff, the dungeon took us, I think, a month to run through of playing. It's all a month. So four sessions so five sessions of running through, and less than a day went by, you know? (laughs) So, which of course can happen, but it was was just ridiculous. But my point being is that the way I, I, I may have said this before, the way I often look at how games like that are run is like they are a movie, right? In the sense that you're always on the move, You're you're moving forward. I mean, yes, I know some movies have epic long spans, but, you know, you think about like an action movie, right? Something happens, like Die Hard, right? So something happens, and then the whole movie takes place in uh, not real time, but basically very fast. You know, there's not huge gaps where weeks go by, families aren't born, the lands aren't plowed, you know, these kind of things. But if you look at like some series, but also oftentimes books, right, where you'll have these huge jumps in time, where just nothing happens. And that is how I think, at least, uh, is a good way to operate when you're dealing with these kind of things, right? Yeah, why would you go back into the dungeon if you just pulled out 5,000 gold pieces? Well, number one, you're going to spend it pretty readily, um, you know, rapidly, but also maybe two years goes by. And that's easy enough to just cut to the future. And that's pretty much what I've been doing in my Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyboria campaign. Because generally, we're, we're working our way through each of the models, Models, modules, and basically, you know, when they get to the module, when they finish the module, I should say, they're generally uh, got enough gold and treasure to level up, and they've got, you know, money, Um, especially now the higher level. Like, they just finished this one module, and I think they got 40,000 gold pieces worth of uh, diamonds, but of course, they're not going to get all 40,000, they're not going to get 40,000 gold pieces for that, number one. Number two, they might keep some of the diamonds just for for to have cool diamonds. And uh, number three, now that the level they're at, they've they've taken time. Like in these downtimes between, they've like established a shipping business. They have all this other stuff going on. And no, I don't run day to day business operations. That can be fun, but I mean, I don't do that. But my point being is that if you use these like vignette style, uh if you work in kind of a vignette style, I guess is how I want to say it. You could actually have these things kind of happen over time. You don't need to play out every moment of it. And then the spending of the gold, if you're looking at something like D&D, can make sense because, you know, now a bunch of time has gone by. Maybe they've made bad investments. Maybe just like, you know, many people, when you start making the money, you're living high on the horse, right? Then all of a sudden you realize that money's not coming in anymore. And now, you know, you got to get down to the stables again, right? So, um, yeah. So how does that affect this chainmail game? How well, am I going to do it? Well, one thing that I really want to uh, emphasize in this game, and I did write it up, but I don't have my computer in front of me, so I'm just going to go off memory, is there's going to be like three kind of categories, if you will, of play, um, or three ways to play the game that will happen all at once. Sometimes in one single session, you'll jump back and forth. Sometimes an entire session will be one or the other. And they are essentially, I'm using like movie and filmmaking terms right now, but I don't know if I'm going to change that. One is the the close-up or zoomed in that is your typical dungeon crawl that is a combat against a, a foe that is role playing with an individual sage or you know the that's when you zoom into that moment and you're dealing with the characters on a very very close basis the second way that you'll play is the medium shot this is going to be your abstracted or troop combat this is going to be the the okay you're traveling you know seven days over the 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 landscape. This is what it looks like. This is what's happening with the weather. This is decisions that you can make, but not something that you're necessarily going to talk in character. And then you've got your wide shots. And those wide shots could be world spanning. It might be uh that years will go by in the wide shot. Or it might be something where a massive epic battle is going on. Maybe it'll only take a week, but it'll be like, you know, fighting with thousands of troops like when you get to that uh, stature. And By combining these things, we're able to jump around And if you think about some of the fiction, especially Conan Where he basically, you know, in those combined books Of course they wrote little bits in between In between those, Conan would ever But in the Howard stories, I mean, he's just basically appearing in different places Older, wiser, with some experience Having known people with, you know, more wealth or more or or less wealth (laughs) You know, maybe a band of, uh, you know, uh, mercenaries working with him Maybe not so these are all things that can happen in the wide shot, and and, the, and again, the wide shots could be uh, also when you're playing at a table and three of your heroes are in different parts of the world. You know, you could uh, have armies fighting and cut back and forth to zoom ins of individual people. But the reality is, is that if you if you uh, let's say you're playing the chainmail game and you find yourself in a position where um, you have a beat. This is like bandit king and you're going to take over his ship or, you know, he's a pirate. We'll say, <laughs> let's pirates around. You know, you're going to actually, like you may play out the zoomed in thing where you actually beat them or make the deal. But then we might kick back to a wide shot and, shoof, you know, three months have gone by. You've done raids. You've done these other things. You've picked up more men. You've, you've replenished their supplies. You don't need to play out every moment of it. And I think that that can be useful in this game. Of course, that's how I plan on playing it but also just in general in campaigns. I think the idea of campaigns being these super compressed time periods where it's like racing clock, everything happens so quickly, is not to my taste as much anymore. I'm not going to say it's bad or good. Obviously, different playing different ways um, is fun, and it's <laughs> always great to engage with the game in different levels. But I like the idea that since I've started this My, my Hyperborea campaign, which I guess we're closing in on uh, about a year and a half of running, uh, it's been like I think five or six years in game time, so you see the difference between, <laughs> you know, the two things, and because I'm literally just jumping forward to make it make more sense, you know, oh, okay, well, you you are over in this part of the world, and the next part of the campaign is taking place on that part of the world. How did you get there? Let's do a, a wide shot where we just talk about the travel. We don't need to role play it out. We don't need to do all this, but okay, now you're here, and it's been a year, and you've made friends, you've made enemies, maybe you've spent your gold you've earned more gold, you're where you are, and you're, the reason why you're adventuring is because you don't have any um, any resources anymore because you've used them up. Or you want to gain more resources in the case of, let's say, the the chainmail hack where, okay, you've got your one single pirate ship and you've been raiding merchant ships and, and bringing in wealth and you've got 30 men behind you, but you know now maybe you want to actually attack a full-on town. Can you do that with one ship? Maybe you want to go... Uh, over the land and, like, try to pick up some some horsemen so you can attack the town from the other side. So now you've got more adventure. That's why you're doing it. You're trying to build up your stake in the world. So, yeah, I think, I don't know, that's (laughs) just, I guess Rob talking about that, uh, thanks, Rob, kind of inspired, uh, you know, kind of the angle I took on this, but that's kind of how the game's going to play out. You're going to have these different levels of play, which, again, kind of ties into the idea, which I know is strange, Or probably feel strange to some people, where like sometimes you'll just be playing somebody else's henchman, because in those situations you're not your character is somewhere else, you know, and you have your own zoomed in shots going on, you know. It really is basically a series of vignettes of these heroes taking place in various places of the world, and they can be handled in many, many different ways. I mean, there might be a time where. You sit down to play a session of the game where like you're leading an army and you literally just effectively play chainmail, you know, and you don't even (laughs) do anything else except for just move the pieces around, um, you know, and, you know, roll dice. And there's no role play at all. There's none, nothing all. And there's going to be other times where it's all role play and you're constantly talking in character or you're doing, you know, minute, uh, you know, things like breaking into, let's say, Tower of the Elephant style. So you've got lots of different things that you can do. And I think by incorporating all that in this game, it's going to make it kind of an interesting game and fairly unique in the fact that it's going to actually focus on that more. I see a lot of games say it. I mean, if you read, uh, you know, let's say the edition books like the DM's Guide and stuff, they talk about like world spanning and this and that. But I feel like a lot of uh, adventures are like my campaign was. And maybe I'm wrong. If people run these, these more modern games, you can tell me I'm wrong. Do years and years go by? Do you go on one adventure and then you cut forward three years into the future? Do people do that? Is that common? Um, I don't think it is. I, I feel like it's not from my understanding. So anyways, as always, I'm curious what you guys think. Go ahead and leave me a message and let's talk about it. All right. We got some calls from, in no particular order, <laughs> BJ from the Arcane Alienist, Evil Jeff from Minions and Musings. We've got uh, Rob from Down at a Heap, as well as John calling in, uh, mostly talking about backstories, but some other stuff mixed in.
1: Hey, Daniel, um, listening to the latest episode on backstories, and I think I think you hit the nail on the head on something I tried to articulate when last we visited this topic, or or maybe I did on my show or on somebody. I I lose track of where we've all made our comments, (laughs) but when you said. you don't want someone to have such a big backstory that it pulls the entire campaign in that direction. It, it may be not fair to some of the other players who don't have that detail, that level of detail in their background. At least I think that's what you were you were implying with that you know, idea of it pulling the campaign in that direction. And that's always my concern: is that when players create these backstories and they expect a dungeon master to use them. Um, it's not so bad to create a backstory and for the with a little bit of an expectation that the DM's gonna dip into it for ideas. But but it is my concern that sometimes players present these large backstories and then they want the campaign to skew at some point in that direction, not just as a as an Easter egg or a reference or a shout out or, or maybe you know, you, you cross paths with it here and there with an NPC that shows up from the person's background, but th- that we're gonna build an entire arc of the campaign around that. And if if that's what a group wants to do with each of their characters in turn that's that's cool but that needs to be something that's hashed out from the beginning as opposed to you showing up of course I, I don't think you should ever just build a character and show up but you should always work with the dm and the other players in a new campaign to to make sure everybody's building compatible characters and characters that are compatible with the kind of campaign that we're going to play but I, I think that's always the concern when people show up with these lengthy detailed backstories that they're kind of expecting that there's going to be a significant story arc in the, in the, in the campaign that focuses on that.
0: Yeah, that this is basically the, 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 long and short of it in a lot of ways, right? Is that if somebody writes an extensive backstory, generally speaking, they are going to want to be used. And as DMS, we can't always use that stuff. So it can create a little tension there where a person has a certain expectation, which I guess, in, again, in session zero, you can kind of hash that out. Um, but uh but certainly some backstories could push the campaign in a very specific direction that focuses on that player as the player character as the main uh protagonist and i don't think that's really what we want uh, in a D&D game at least not what i want I and mean, the people i play with we usually want the party to be the main protagonist so if it's a single player that is a player character that is the most important person in the party that is not just the type of game that i typically like to run so, yeah, that's generally my uh, my thought on, like, longer, more elaborate backstories. But in certain West Marches-style games and, like, in this Chainmail game, I think you could have a decently uh, involved backstory because each session generally will be about a single hero or a team, which hopefully they put their backstories together, <laughs> you know, and that's basically how it'll work out. So it is going to be about you. In this case, it's about you. You can, uh, you know, have your elaborate backstory where you, where you want to go do this thing. And that will become part of the campaign because you'll make that part of the campaign. Whereas in a standard D&D campaign, in my mind, we're usually kind of, you know, placing the uh, the heroes in a situation versus just dropping them into the world.
2: Daniel is Evil Jeff in your Heroic Backstories podcast. And like what you were saying about the task resolution. Um, Not sure about charts or D6 roll. I could see either way. I like that. But I wanted to comment more on the backstory. I don't know if I'd roll. Uh, Unless there are certain things that you want to keep it random or prevent a player from uh, wording something in such a way that gives them way too much power, leeway, abilities, whatever. Maybe if you think somebody can abuse that, I'm all for though, instead of just a backstory, you know, giving you a bit about them, adding two little pieces and those pieces are personality and motivation, you know, have that personality kind of let them know what they're like helps maybe even, uh, dictate some interactions with NPCs. You know, maybe it's a plus or minus or something like that. But also motivation. I think that's a big key. You know, why is this character doing whatever they're doing? And I don't think a character's backstory gives enough. You know, give the motivation so we know why they're doing what they're doing, what their goals are. I do that with my minions. I think it works out rather well because it helps them remember where they were going. The character. Keep up the good work. Check out the next podcast later.
0: Oh, all right. Thanks, Evil Jeff. That's some, that's a lot of good information. So I guess as far as the the rolling thing, I think I was more thinking for for uh, ideas, less to control like what people do. I just hope that each table would have kind of a. <laughs> You know, like most things in these situations, I would say you know that your referee is going to want to you know approve, if you will, for lack of a better word, uh, whatever you put into your your bullet point backstory. I was thinking more like if people weren't used to the genre, maybe they they wouldn't have an idea of what to maybe have for the backstory. But uh, yeah, no, I I think making it up yourself is is appropriate and the better way. I hate to use words like that, but for for many people, uh, so yeah. Um, the other uh thing though we're, we're talking about with motivation and personality i think that is really really important um yeah that's really 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 good right because especially i hadn't even thought about it but right if you if somebody says well my character has a dour personality or they're you know uh always uh talkative or they, they're they're always smiling or you know whatever the personalities they make for them that could have an immediate reaction since we're not going to have a charisma score per se we're not going to have any kind of stats like that that could help the gm kind of decide um, where people might go, right? Um, you might have, uh, uh, you know, a, 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 evil sorceress that, uh, you know, uh, that might be attracted to the, 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 strong silent type, right? Or you might be want somebody to talk her ear off, whatever, you know, and that might then give you a, uh, some kind of a bonus or penalty depending on, the, you know, based on the interaction or at the very least give the GM, a a, a place to go, um, as far as, um, directing the, the, the conversation. And as far as motivation, yeah, 100%. Uh, I'm thinking now, as you're saying this, I'm like thinking of the, quote, character sheet, which wouldn't take much. (laughs) Like the character sheet would probably just have a couple of lines on it based on, um, a couple lines you go at the beginning anyways, and then maybe there'll be some kind of journal on there. But um, I think the idea of like having uh, personality, you know, uh, appearance, I guess, personality uh, traits, and then a motivation, which is super important. And whether we use that motivation as part of our, um, leveling for lack of a better word process like kind of uh, the idea of, you know not everybody's going to want to just collect horses or whatever so you know i want to keep things open-ended um or we use it just so that people remember what they're doing right like you say you use it with the minions like when they're out there you know doing their adventure or traveling through the forest and they, they you know fighting monsters or whatever they want to be doing and sometimes you might be like why are we even doing this and it's like oh yes because we need to uh, you know find the the ring of the the duke so that we can right- rightfully claim our throne you know that that was taken from us you know two generations ago that kind of thing so you can definitely get like a cool motivation uh, or the motivation might be something simple like i want to start a zoo and i'm going to collect different types of uh you know uh creatures from the forest right and then they'll definitely tell you how you want to operate you know capture them versus uh, uh kill them or whatever so or be known as the greatest hunter in the land and then you're always seeking out that uh that prized you know uh stag or whatever So yeah, I think motivations, that's a great, great idea. So yeah, yeah, thanks so Joe.
3: I think you could combine both approaches by using the system you've been talking about where a normal person gets one die and a hero gets four and difficulty levels range from two to six and some particularly heroic tasks require more than one success to accomplish. You'd also want to give the GM some kind of currency so that they could invoke a situation for the hero, such as invoke a character flaw that forces him to fail in a certain situation or increases the difficulty in that situation. By the same token, invoke fate stepping in and do the same thing. That way the GM still has some control over creating opportunities for the hero to fail Oh, that's interesting. I
0: hadn't really considered any kind of meta currency in this. Um, hmm. That's definitely something to consider. Uh, the idea again, because we're playing heroes, right? The idea of having some kind of hero point um, could be useful. Um, I think I won't add that immediately, though. Uh, but I will put it on the uh, the possible list because I don't. I, I want to stay as close as possible to the simplicity of the rules. But not that meta currency is necessarily <laughs> not not simple. Uh, you do run into this. I mean, you can go back to what, what Joe Richter says, where DM fiat or DMs doing everything is basically unlimited meta right? Because anytime we want to put a monster in front of somebody, um, that uh, that is, in a sense, meta currency. But I see what you're saying with the flaw. Like, it could be like, well, you know, you're going to have to roll an extra die or, or, you know, an extra success if you want to succeed here because I'm invoking your flaw. But I almost wonder if that can't just be handled as the flaw just always does that and not the DM having to invoke it. Although I guess even if we have a flaw, we don't always succumb to it. So hmm. I'll have to really think about that. But that's, that's a really good idea, John. Thanks.
3: Hi, Daniel. This is John. The issues you're having with the game are because you're trying to model an heroic tale, in other words, a narrative, using a more simulationist approach. In a simulationist game, characters attempt to uh, to accomplish tasks, and sometimes they succeed and sometimes they fail, and the game develops in how they react to those situations. In a narrative approach, characters only fail when it's necessary for the narrative to become interesting and to change direction. Of course, the easiest way to make a narrative game is to turn it into a journaling game where there's only one player and no GM, and you just follow a series of prompts to create a story about your character, such as thousand-year-old vampire. One game I suggest you look at is Agon, A-G-O-N, from Evil Hat. It's specifically designed to create stories of mythic heroism and allows for multiple players. It uses dice to help direct the narrative and allow the players to decide who gets to narrate the final success or the final failure while each is building their own story as each episode goes along. But it also requires very specifically designed scenarios that have major plot points for them to be confronted with. Yeah, it's
0: interesting, right? I mean, I don't see, although I could see some journaling happening in this, uh, like after the fact, I don't see this game as really narrative that much at all. if narrative means that there's only strife when something interesting is going to happen, or or when it when it's interesting to the story, then that's not really what this is. So I think I'm leaning way more into what would be simulationist. I'm not one to put labels. I, I don't think things usually fall directly into any camp. Um, there's lots of in between room, and I feel like that's where the interesting stuff is. Um, although I guess games that are extremes on one end are are good to kind of set a uh, baseline. But uh, I find like anything the players do is interesting. you know. To me, having a plot point or deciding that this is the interesting point is not my role as a DM. This is not, it's not how I, how I DM. I just set forth the world and let the players have at it. Uh, that being said, uh, in this game even more so because I really want people to be driven by their own motivations and ideas uh, and what they want to do in the world. Um, and so far as Agon's concerned, yeah, I have that game. I, I saw Questing Beast talk about it and ordered it, and of course, it's on the pile with a bunch of other stuff to read. I may have to move it to the top because, uh, that's really interesting. I seem to remember him talking exactly about what you're saying there, and that's the part that really got me excited was the, uh, everybody kind of having their own goals, but working together in a group and dice and, this and that, so... But yeah, like you say, the, the the my understanding of it is you need very specifically crafted scenarios, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, but it does kind of set the game up so that if somebody wants to play it, you know they're going to play the stuff that that I write for it, unless somebody else decides to do so. Which you know I don't know if I want to do that, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll check that one out. Though thanks, John.
4: Hey, Daniel, it's Rob. Just listened to your latest episode on heroic backstories. I do think it makes. A lot of sense to have more of a complete fleshed out backstory background whatever for characters that are of a more heroic stature to explain why they've come to this status or whatever as far as the task resolution i think it sounds to me like either one would work really well in your game i i'm more inclined to choose the latter method rather than the charts but uh yeah, if I were you, I'd probably just mock up the charts and see how they look and if it makes sense. And if it seems too clumsy, go with the other method that you're putting forth. And I personally would rather see um, a list of possible, you know, professions or what. whatever. Oop, I guess I'm going to have to go to a second message. Hey, it's Rob again. So I'd personally rather see a list of you know, set up in a random chart kind of fashion for determining background professions, maybe even things like appearances or physical, mental attributes, um, or at least things that are noteworthy about your character. Um, If for no other reason than I think sometimes having uh, charts like that prompt creativity, but secondarily... I think it helps to flesh out the kind of themes and perhaps implied setting that you're going for. And, you know, if you have some of these things as random charts where you, <clears throat> you know, you could just select one too, select whatever you choose, maybe it would help define the character in a way that isn't a complete Mary Sue.
0: All right, thanks, Rob. Yeah, I think... uh I'm leaning towards the chart now for interestingly enough for the resolution, because I made the chart this morning and it's easy. And also I just feel like in this game, you're already looking at charts. You know, there's many games that I can run. Not many. There's a handful of games that I could run with never looking at the book. You know, if I just had some dice, uh, with me, I could pretty much run BX from the top of my head. Um, <laughs> at least the lower levels. Right. But, uh, but this game, you need the charts. Anyways, you need them for all your combat stuff. And combat, obviously, is going to be a part of this game, a decent part of this game. So I don't think having the charts is going to be weird. And, and I will try to attach them. I'll say it at the end of this if that's the case, but I'll try to, like, print them out and as a PDF or whatever and put it in my Dropbox so I can share it with everybody if they want to take a peek, because uh, I'd love to get feedback. But uh, anyways, the other uh, charts, if you will, are lists of, like, the uh, traits. I think, right, I, it wasn't necessarily meant to stop Mary Sue's, although I guess... It could do that. It was really meant to, in my mind at least, to give people, right, inspired as to what this setting should be like, if you will. And I'm quoting, you know, putting air quotes around, should. Obviously, you can play things any way you want. And if in your sword and sorcery world, people can play, you know, lizard folk or, or or you know, aliens, <laughs> you know, that's cool. I mean, I'm, I'm not even doing it. Uh, but at the same time, you know, if I, if I, make the general attributes and stuff of people a certain way, the the, the maybe possibly the, the the even the physical appearance on some level, but also like uh the backgrounds, uh, as you mentioned, you know. The back the difference between having a back listed on the backgrounds things like mortgage broker, right? Versus, you know, blacksmith, right? That's gonna change although blacksmith is pretty generic. But like, you know, uh, you know, sheep herd or, or camel uh uh Rider, or I don't know what you call the people that put the camels together, like a herder or something. I guess herders were, So, like a camel herder or whatever. Like, I mean, you know, obviously, if if I throw camels out there, that automatically sets something in your mind, right? You're not, you're not in, you know, France riding around on a camel. Usually, you know, <laughs> it definitely sets a a, a different uh, perspective. So, I think that, um, yeah, I think that uh, that's it. I think I'll make some kind of list. I'll try to start to get some terms. Maybe I'll do a little survey uh, on uh, sword and sorcery uh, lingo, like fuse uh, that people like <laughs> that we should throw in here um, and get a little bit of idea together for that. But yeah, I think the idea is I'll put the the resolution system in both forms, maybe but in the D6 form and in the chart form into a PDF and try to attach that to this. If I get a chance to whip that up before this video goes live. I almost said video. Um, but yeah, thanks, for. Oh, I've decided as well that one thing we definitely need for this game is a random thews table. So if people uh, have read enough uh, sword and sorcery fiction to have many different ways to describe the uh, the massive thews of their hero, uh, go ahead and leave me a message with uh, your description of your hero's thews, and we'll put it on the uh, on the list.